hey, John, I will take that, that mic if you don't mind. Sometimes I like using the handheld. Test, test, test. That's John. All right. Pardon me while I take my jacket off. Sometimes we're more organized than other times. So we'll, we'll get it together here this morning. I'm watching the clock this morning because uh, we're going to do some hymn singing uh, after a little bit. We're going to dedicate these, uh, these hymnals. Uh, and last week people turned in uh, little cards like this listing some of their favorite hymns. And, and I did go through them. And we didn't, we didn't all get our, our choices in the lineup this, this Sunday. Um, hey, Ava, can you come here and help me? There's a, there's a little hook on the back that keeps me from strangling. Okay, we could attach that to my collar. Um, so we'll, we're going to get through as many as we can. The ones that were seasonal, I just opted out on. So some of you like the Christmas songs. We'll do those at Christmas. Some of you one of the Easter songs we'll do up from the grave he arose uh, we'll do that at Easter uh, but I thought I would uh, uh, one more it has to go on the, on the jacket collar not the shirt collar isn't my wife cute <laughs> alright thanks that's better alright Yeah. otherwise I feel like I'm, I'm hanging up here but before we got to that I, I want to take a look at this passage and I want to do just I want to do two things. I want, I want you to know this story. Raise your hand if before this morning you knew the story of Korah's rebellion. It's a minority story, okay? A lot of people don't know this story. It somehow uh, gets passed over in the Sunday school lineup. But I want you to know this story because I think it's a great story. And then I want to preach a one-point sermon. Okay, and then we'll sing some hymns and we'll, we'll sing until you get tired of it. All right, so if you, have, if you have your bulletins there, you can take a look at the passage and it might help you to have it there in front of you. And the story is, is, is that there is uh, this group of people, they're Levites, uh, they're Korah's kind of tribe within the larger group of Levites. They're not priests. All right, but they're allowed to serve and to support the priests. Maybe you want to think of them as deacons or something like that. But they get big ideas and they decide that they want to be priests. All right, and uh, so they're upset. They want to do the things that the priests do, which include offering incense in, in the in the temple. And and God responds to this in a couple of ways. There are kind of, there are three uh, uh, terrible things that happen. First, Korah. And uh, Dathan and Abiram are swallowed up. Was it an earthquake? I don't know. But a crack opens in the ground and their tents and they and their families and everything they know go down into the ground and then the ground closes and they're dead. Okay. Now part of this thing, I only gave you selections of this chapter. You can go home and read all of the details. But they, the people who were also in the camp heard the people go down into the ground and heard their screams. And so they were freaking out 
two, all right? So the earth opened up and swallowed them. Three, three men, three, the three ringleaders uh, and, uh, and their families are destroyed. The second set of people are destroyed by fire from heaven, which might remind you of other instances where God sent fire from heaven. There are 250 kind of confederates of Korah who also are involved in this thing and they've uh, God sends down fire and burns them all up all right one of the things that they want to do is to be able to offer incense which is something that was reserved for the priest I think the incense was offered in something like a frying pan with a very long handle okay so imagine a frying pan and you had a handle, and out there uh, in the frying pan, there are hot coals, and there's special incense, and the smoke is going up. All right, how many of you have been in churches that have incense? We're allowed to do it as Presbyterians, by the way. All right, so one of these days, we, we might get an incense sensor in here. Uh, it is a wonderful thing, and, and, and it's, it's symbolic of the presence of God. All right? Uh, and so the priests were allowed to do this. Well, these 250, they decide they want to be the priests. Well, they've not been ordained to be the priests. They come from the wrong family lines. And uh, God sends fire down and destroys all 250 of them. Well, it goes on from there. The next thing which happens is that a plague, or some kind of disease, we don't know what kind of disease, begins to spread in the camp. And one uh, and fourteen thousand seven hundred people are killed. All right. Moses, who is not only the prophet but is also the one who prays on behalf of these people and intercedes for these people, intercedes on their behalf and tries to uh, minimize the damage that's caused when the three men are going to be swallowed up by the earth. Moses tells everybody to get out of the way because, you know, something bad's going to happen here. And so more people don't get destroyed. When the 250 are destroyed by fire, he warns everybody and everybody steps back so they're not destroyed. And when the plague goes out in the, amongst the people, uh, Aaron goes out there with one of these frying pans, okay, to purify the people. They've committed a sin and somehow the smoke purifies them of their sin. And so uh, Aaron stands between uh, the people who've not yet died and the kind of the moving front of the disease that's going through the community. All right. So this is an extraordinary example of God responding to the rebellion of God's people against him. I want to suggest to you that there are three things that these men wanted uh, that got them into trouble. Number one is they wanted position. They wanted to be number one. They wanted to be at the top of the heap. They wanted to be the star of the show. They wanted power. They wanted to be able to control other people. And they also wanted possessions. They wanted stuff. Position, power, and possession. I think in our lives we find ourselves getting into trouble often and regularly when we're pursuing position, power, and possessions. People become discontent with who they are and where they are. Why is it that you're the one who's over me? Why is it that I'm not the one who's at the top of the heap? And I become resentful. 
And I envy your power and your position, which is what happens with Korah and with his men. What you see in the Bible is, is that God is sovereign and God is in control. Now this is something that we as Americans, we don't like. Because we like in the United States, we are very independent minded people and we like to think that we are self-made. That I have risen to the rank that I deserve by my own power. Well, what if God has assigned you to a different rank than the one that you imagine yourself belonging to? The Bible teaches us that we are to be content with where God put us. In the New Testament, we know that the, the people of God, the church, are a complex mix of different kinds. That the church needs people in all kinds of positions. Church needs people of different kinds of gifts. And each one of those positions within the church is important to the work of God. And everybody is important uh, to the family of God. And so the ear can't say to the hand that I'm more important than you, uh, that I belong and that you don't belong. It's God's way of saying wherever God has placed us, it's just the right place. And we need to trust God with this. If I've been born into the family of Korah, it is my destiny that I will not be a priest of Israel. And I need to be comfortable with that. I get to have the privilege of supporting the priest of Israel. I get the privilege of being a deacon in the house of the Lord. King David said that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. It's a distinguished position. I'm the guy who opens the door so that the worshipers can come into the house of the Lord. I don't need to be the king of Israel. I would be content to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. So here is my one point sermon this morning. We as followers of Jesus Christ are called to lives of contentment. If you think about the Christian virtues and you start listing them, if I were to have given you the assignment of listing what are the Christian virtues, when would you finally come to the point of saying that contentment is one of the virtues? Sometimes we forget this virtue as a Christian. The Apostle Paul writing to uh, his, his protege Timothy says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. We're not going to grumble. We're not going to say, you know, uh, I was, you know, I left Egypt and in Egypt there were all kinds of good food there. We had fish and we had onions and we had watermelons. And here we are out in the desert and all we have is this stupid manna to eat and some quail every once in a while. We would be content with what it is that the Lord had given to us. Paul goes on to warn them, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We need to be content with what it is that God has given us. Paul also writes, this is in a very different context, but Paul is writing to the Corinthians. It was a church that he had planted. 
He's had a lot of trouble with this church. He loves the church, but they've been nothing but trouble. Paul himself is, uh, is suffering, and he writes to this church, and he says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. How many of us glory in our weakness? How many of us glory in the fact that we don't have the power or the position or the possessions to rule the world? You know, I think each one of us is born into this world with a little Napoleon in our heart, thinking that we're supposed to rule everything. And it is only by the grace of God that we are not that. Because when we discover that we do not have the position and the power and the possessions that our heart desires, it is only then that we turn to God and ask for his help. Paul writes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weakness, for when I am weak then I am strong. Okay. Finally, I'm reminded of Jesus at the well where he meets the Samaritan woman. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Now, of course, this woman uh, misunderstands Jesus. This woman uh, thinks that Jesus is literally talking about that well. But there is this way in which when we are filled up with position and power and possessions, we don't think we need God. And we don't turn to God. We are full of ourselves. And it is a great loss to us if we don't have a relationship with Almighty God because we've been filled up with other kinds of things. These men of Korah who were complaining against Aaron and Moses in the wilderness, they think that they are the ones who should be preeminent, that they should be the ones who are first. They complain against Moses and Aaron for exercising power and authority to them. How many of us like having someone else tell us what to do and yet God places us in that position? And they complain that they don't get all of the stuff that they had when they were back there in Egypt. It is my desire that you would have the things that last for eternity. All of your possessions in this world, they're going to burn up. No one is going to check your resume when you get to heaven. It'll be gone. Your position in this world will mean nothing in the kingdom of God. We're told that the last will be the first, and the first will be the last in the kingdom of God. And so my desire for you is, is that you would pursue and cling to those things which are permanent, which are God-honoring, and which allow you to live your life in this world 
with peace of mind and with sanity. One of the terrible things about being discontent is that no matter how much you have, you're never happy with it. And one of the wonderful things about having the virtue of contentment is, is that no matter how little you have, you're happy. So sometimes we think, you know, I'll be happy when I have that. And we pursue that rather than pursuing the happiness. My suggestion is pursue the happiness. And then you'll discover that you're content with what it is that God has ordained for you to have. All of us have been blessed in lots of uh, rich and wonderful ways here in this congregation. And my encouragement to you is, is that you rest in the provision of God. Part of the uh, spirit that gives rise to the rebellion of Korah is a lack of trust in what God is doing. A lack of trust in what God is doing. God has placed these men at a certain position, first of all, in their society. They've been given a certain rank in their society. They've been assigned certain duties that they're to perform in the tabernacle. They have that position. They're not content with that position. They want a better position or what they think is a better position. They're also, God has assigned them a certain place on the globe. Here they are, they're in the Sinai wilderness. They're uh, on this pilgrimage from, from uh, Egypt to the promised land. God has, in his providence, said, this is where you're going to be. And they're not content with that. He's provided them with their daily bread. They're alive because food magically comes out of the sky and lands on the ground every day. They're not content with it. All right? What happens when we're discontent with God? What's going on in our heart when we are not content with God's provision in our lives? What we're doing is we're saying, you know what? I know better than God. I know better than God. And God, he better get with the program and begin to provide me with the position and the power and the possessions that I've put on my program. Woo. We don't want to get ourselves in that position where we're working against what God is doing in our lives. God has prov promised to provide uh, everything that we need. God has pro pro promised to uh, bless us and to prosper us. God has also called us to trust him with all of our circumstances. That's all I want to say about that passage today. I want to talk about these hymnals. Look at this. I'm going to step down behind the wall. This is almost like a, this is almost like a snowball fort. Okay. All right. I was I was stacking them up uh, on Friday. I was a little worried they were going to tip over. So Susan Clark, I think it was Susan Clark. Susan Clark uh, came to me a, a little while ago, and she said that 75 of our hymnals were falling apart. You'll see them on the back. Uh, table there and they needed to be retired and so I thought that buying a batch of new hymnals the last ones by the way that we bought were in 2007 uh, in uh, honor of Harriet Anderson's 100th birthday the last ones we bought were in 2007 I thought this would be a good opportunity to uh, give people a chance to donate to the work of the church and to memorialize a loved one and so I told Jordan Goretti 
Our secretary uh, to order 50 hymnals. I think we started with 50, right? I thought we'd be lucky to get 50 donations, uh, but I was wrong. And then we had to buy another 50. Uh, and I'm happy to say that 100% of 100 hymnals are paid for out of new donations and given in honor of a loved one. In fact, I got a text last night from one of our members saying, are there any hymnals left to dedicate? Nah, I'm sorry, they're all, they're all sold out. You'll have to wait another 50 years, okay? Those hymnals back there, by the way, are 50, 50 years old. Okay, I want you to think about that. 50 years ago, uh, we dedicated those hymnals. So I want to thank all of you for your generosity, and I want to read the dedications that have been made. And keep in mind that some of these dedications were made 10 times. I'm not going to read them 10 times if they were made 10 times, okay? In memory of Bob Aiken, by Jenny Aiken. In memory of Naomi Bergmeier, by the Miriam Circle. In memory of Christine Boney, by Rich Good. In memory of Christine Boney, by Deb Jack. In memory of Christine Boney, by Elizabeth Rosardo. In memory of Margaret Caulfield, by Anne Marie Caulfield. In memory of William Sapkala, by Dan Morrison. In honor of, not in memory of, in honor of Joan Clover by Elizabeth Rosardo. In memory of Samuel W. Clover by Joan Clover. In memory of Richard W. Cutting by Dr. Chelsea Foster. In honor of Ruth Dixon by the Miriam Circle. In memory of Ron Joseph DeOrio by Dan Morrison. In memory of Elizabeth Warakow by Elizabeth Rosardo, in memory of Betty Hewitt by Virginia Locke, in memory of Betty Hewitt by the Miriam Circle, in memory of Barry Hofstetter by Chris Danucci, in memory of Raymond Hull II by Constance Marie Hull, in memory of Raymond Hull II by Dan Morrison, in memory of Gloria Kirkner by Robin Swanson, in memory of Jonathan Z. Landgraf by Dan Morrison. In memory of Edith A. La Smith Cutting by Dr. Chelsea Foster. In memory of Barry Lavery by Dan Morrison. In memory of Reginald Blitz by Dan Morrison. In memory of David McFadden by Dan Morrison. In honor of my beloved family, Moran, by Joyce Cotaspotti. In memory of Stanley J. Morrison by Dan Morrison. In memory of Alan Serdyke by Dan Morrison. In honor of Margaret Taylor by Elizabeth Rosardo. In memory of Jasper Seragian by the Seragian family. In memory of Matthew Seragian by the Seragian family. In memory of Anne Seragian by the Seragian family. In memory of Robert Schreiner by Dan Morrison. In memory of Frederick Trask by Naomi Trask. In memory of Philip and Elizabeth Trask by Naomi Trask. And in memory of Fred Ungerman by Dan Morrison. In honor of the students and alumni of Valley Christian School by Dr. Chelsea Foster. 
For the love of God and the lives that have gone before us. Anonymous. Praise Jesus by Gail Marin. I'll sing on what wondrous love. Anonymous. Let us pray. Eternal God, the heavens themselves, the numberless stars and planets, each in their own well-tuned orbits, the heavens declare your praises. Surrounding your throne are legions of angels and saints who endlessly and loudly sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And all around our terrestrial globe, in every nation and in every language, the redeemed of the Lord sing your praises this morning. And so we at Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church join our voices with all those voices to give you honor and praise. We dedicate these hymnals to the glory of God and in memory of the loved ones we have named. We ask that each time we open these hymnals that our thoughts would be lifted up from the earth, that our thoughts would be turned heavenward as we prepare for and anticipate that day when we too will be in your presence, overcome with complete satisfaction and ecstatic joy, singing to you the songs that you deserve. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.